I thought it would be fun to take a look at traditions today, specifically speaking about the traditions of Thanksgiving, both the reason that we have the holiday, the traditional foods that were served there, which in some regards differ quite a bit from what we now consider in modern times a traditional Thanksgiving meal. I always think that it's important to look at our past so that we don't forget the things that are important or lose skill sets, and then we take those and figure out how to use it in our modern world. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast, which is episode number 121, where we are all about helping families raise, preserve, and cook their own food from scratch using old-fashioned skill sets and knowledge for a natural and self-sufficient home. So at the time of this recording, Thanksgiving is coming up shortly. In today's time, most of us have a few things, few dishes that are traditionally served at Thanksgiving dinner. Of course, you've got your turkey, and then you've got the stuffing or the dressing. Stuffing if it's cooked in the bird, dressing if it's cooked outside of the bird. Usually cranberry sauce, sides of either some green beans or winter squash, and then of course, pumpkin pie, and usually apple pie. And of course, there's many, many foods way beyond that, but that's kind of usually the traditional foods that you'll find variations of on most people's table. I thought it would be fun to really go back and look at some of the original Thanksgiving and what foods they actually would have had served there and kind of the progression that we've made from that menu back there to the menu that we have today and to give you some tips and tricks for using what you've grown in creating your Thanksgiving meal. So from historical accounts, we know that the first, what we call the first American Thanksgiving, was celebrated in the fall in 1621 at Plymouth. There actually was a letter that was written from there and sent back to England, so we have a bit of an account of that first Thanksgiving. It was a feast that went for three days. And it was also with the Native Americans, the Indians. They brought five deer in. And then the settlers had also went out and they had gotten lucky and gotten quite a bit of fowl. So they had quite a bit of food. And it was a time of Thanksgiving and celebration and gratefulness for their harvest. But it actually wasn't in, by most accounts, November, even though that's when we celebrate our national holiday now. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But in all likelihood, historians have put it between September 21st and November 9th, because that's when really most of the harvest and the timeline kind of adds up. It wasn't the fourth Thursday in November like we have now for our holiday. I've taken a lot of my notes and gotten my information from the Book of Thanksgiving by Paul Dixon. So the date that we have now, which is the fourth Thursday in November for Thanksgiving, was actually hundreds of years later. So the official holiday was made a national holiday in the U.S. in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln. So in the Book of Thanksgiving by Paul Dixon, they have two surviving descriptions where we learn that the feast and the foods that they were serving at what we consider kind of that first Thanksgiving would have included cod, sea bass, wild fowl, turkeys, corn, and the five deer that were brought by the Indian. Desserts, as we so lovingly love them now, 
weren't something back then. I mean, they didn't have an excess of sugar, molasses, and all of that that we've come to expect in our Thanksgiving meals that we celebrate now. But in the book, he has a list of native plants that would have been served and would have been used in a lot of those feasts, which of course we have nuts. So walnuts, chestnuts, hickory nuts. Then you have got some fruits. So there were grapes, gooseberries, raspberries, and then not as we think of now, but the wild cherries and wild strawberries. And then there were beans, pumpkins, and squash and American crab apples but not regular apples. Now, if you've never really experienced crab apples, a crab apple is a vastly different beast than just a regular apple. Our regular apples that we have now are quite sweet. I mean, some, you know, like a Granny Smith are going to be tarter than others, but they're fairly large and they have a natural sweetness to them in a crisp where your crab apples are really small and very, 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 very tart, though they do contain a lot of natural pectin, which is great for jelly making. Kind of a side note there. And then also currants and blueberries, wild onions, and purslane. And of course, as we look back, a lot of those fruits, I mean, even as you know today, a lot of the foods that we're serving at our Thanksgiving meal, they're not in season right now. So they're things that we have preserved and put up to be able to eat all year round, which is something that modern homesteaders and self-sufficient people really try to do and is a goal of ours. And that was the same from our ancestors and the early pilgrims as they were doing their Thanksgiving meals. So they, of course, I am lucky enough to have a whole bunch of home canned pie filling. So come Thanksgiving Day, I don't even have to worry about using dried apples or thawing things out, pie filling from the freezer. All I have to do, and I don't have to peel them as in fresh apples, nor do I have to pay the price of the store for fresh apples. But I'm just able to pop open the jar of my home canned pie filling, put it into the pie crust, and away we go. But back in the day, most of the ways that they had of preserving their food was going to have been dehydrated because canning wasn't even invented yet. Canning wasn't until the mid-1800s, and we're going back to the 1600s. So a lot of those foods would have been dried, and then they would have prepared them from their dried form into the different dishes. You would have had quite a bit of your root vegetables that we still have today, so carrots and onions and beets and all of those fun dishes. One thing that I thought was of special interest from the list of the different foods from the book, as I mentioned before, the book of Thanksgiving, was they didn't have apples or pears. At that time, it would have only been plants and foods that were native to America. And a lot of the things that we have now and that grow everywhere are actually foods that different people brought with them from their their home countries over to the colonies and to the United States and planted. And now they just kind of grow abundantly and everywhere. But back then, they wouldn't have had time to have been planted and to bring forth their fruit yet. So not apples other than like a crab apple. No pears. Potatoes were not even known to botanists yet. Isn't that kind of wild and crazy? So we all think of our mashed potatoes and love that usually at Thanksgiving, but that would not have been one. No sweet corn and no celery. We have quite a bit in common with that first Thanksgiving dinners and those that preceded now than we do with a lot of our modern counterparts. And that's kind of the the spirit behind Thanksgiving as well. Because when you are growing and harvesting or going out and hunting, doing foraging, that type of thing for your food, 
usually you have a much bigger sense of gratitude and thankfulness because you know you're not guaranteed that food. When you go to the grocery store, unless they happen to sell out of something, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be able to go and purchase the items that you want as long as funds are available. But most of us, we know that we can go to the grocery store and we are going to be able to get our turkey if we have not raised one or went hunting for something. We're going to be able to purchase our cornmeal. We're going to be able to purchase our cranberries and, of course, sugar and our flour and all of those items without worry and know that we're going to have those available for our Thanksgiving meal, which I'm not saying we are not in today's age thankful for those foods, but there's a different level of thankfulness and gratitude. At least we've experienced that in our family when you are able to go out and get it yourself and the harvest is productive and it is fruitful and you bring those foods in. You're very thankful for the meal. In fact, if you have not experienced it yet, and if you have, then you know exactly what I am talking about. The first time that you sit down to a meal that is completely done with food that you have raised and harvested yourself, that has came from your own hands, so to speak, or from your own land, and it's not been purchased from the store, it is an incredible feeling. I really can't even put it into words, but it is something that I hope that everybody gets to experience at one point in their life or another. The really cool thing is it doesn't ever really go away. So anytime we sit down to a meal that has completely been made with food off of our own land that we've raised and harvested and put up ourselves, there's a huge feeling of not pride in a bad way, but of satisfaction and job well done and thankfulness. You have a big thankfulness and gratitude that I just don't think you get on the same level when you get it from the store. If we go back, so even further back than 1621, but if we go back into the Old Testament and the book of Exodus chapter 23 verse 16, this really brings all of that together. It says, also you shall keep the feast of harvest, Pentecost, acknowledging the first fruits of your toil of what you sow in the field. And third, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. So even the Lord knew the importance of that. And of course, as a Christian, I am thankful because I know that all good things that I have come from his hands, including the bounty of our land and the food at our table. So one of the menus from Thanksgiving past, and it's kind of been from just taken from different accounts and letters that they've had over the years from the book of Thanksgiving by Paul Dickinson, they've came up with a menu of items that they are pretty certain would have been present there. So we have boiled codfish, grilled sea bass, then you've got your fowl. So this is where our tradition of having turkey comes in. But back then, it wouldn't have just been wild turkeys. It would ducks, geese, and of course, cornmeal, because that was something that the Indians were cultivating and we had here that can be turned into, of course, cornbread, different cooked puddings. And for roast, they had venison. We know that they had five deer that they had there. Nuts, boiled onions, which I have to say, I don't believe I've ever just ate a boiled onion all by itself as part of a meal. Of course, I've had it in soups and stews and that kind of thing. And then crab apples with currants and, of course, nuts. So we think of chestnuts roasting on an open fire when we think of Christmas. But all the different nuts that would have grown there would have been something that they would have harvested and had to eat at the meal. 
when you're looking at that traditional first Thanksgiving meal, they were on the coast, obviously the East Coast. That's how you have different fish. And a lot of times people use oysters now. My husband's side of the family loves oyster stuffing. Now, if you love your oyster stuffing, then you just love it. And it's considered part of a traditional thing because that's what they did is they took the food that they had available to them and that became a part of the feast that they were able to harvest or to grow. I am not a huge fan of oysters. I think oysters are one of those food you either love them or you just don't like them. There's not much in between. And I got to tell you, I'm in the camp that just doesn't really like them. But for those of you who love them, oyster stuffing is like the thing. Then, of course, as different foods were cultivated and becoming more abundant, then you kind of have a shift from what was way back when, those traditional menu, and you can kind of see, and it shifts into more of what we have in our modern part today. So that's the addition of apple pie. You have your cranberries that were then turned into cranberry jelly or cranberry sauce. And then molasses and sugar and honey and all of that were more readily available. So then we have a lot more coming into kind of the dessert arena that many of us experience now on Thanksgiving. But the, of course, relishes because pickling is a way even today in order to preserve our food for year-round eating. And now we have got mashed potatoes and a lot of us sweet potatoes or yams, though those aren't something I can get them obviously here in the Pacific Northwest, but we're too cold to grow those items. So those are definitely something that we have to purchase. And one of the things that the self-sufficient or the modern homesteader, which are kind of the same thing, or those who are really looking at using what they've been able to put up and to grow in their area it's going to be a little bit different regionally by the foods that you will be serving because we can't all grow. Like I said, sweet potatoes and yams aren't something I can grow here, though a lot of times we have purchased them to serve them at the meal. But actually, within my book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made from Scratch Living, I share some of our favorite traditional recipes and things for each of the holidays. I'm going to share those with you. And of course, if you have already got the book, thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be able to share these recipes and old-fashioned tips and tricks in order to create a more handmade home. I have so enjoyed all of you guys sharing your recipe pictures and letting me know how much you and your family are enjoying the recipes that you've been trying from the book. It is so much fun to know that you guys are enjoying them just as much as my family does. To get your copy of Handmade, you can go to handmadethebook.com and see all of the fun bonuses and goodies I have there for you beyond what you'll find within the pages. This time of year, we are lucky enough that a lot of our root vegetables, which is why you saw a lot of root vegetables, even in the traditional list of kind of the traditional Thanksgiving foods, is because root vegetables will hold or store a lot longer than things like fresh leafy greens. So parsnips and carrots and beets, potatoes, all of those store really well. And then your winter squash. So we can bring those indoors, even if you don't have a root cellar, and you can store them and they've got a longer shelf life. So one of the things that I love to serve is just plain roasted carrots. Because like I said, Carrots I can grow here absolutely no problem, but I can't do the sweet potatoes or yams. So acorn squash is something that we will prepare that we can grow ourselves instead of going with a sweet potato. And no marshmallows allowed, <laughs> at least not the store-bought ones. So I really like to use molasses or even brown sugar because that's got some of the molasses in there. 
and honey and cinnamon and sprinkle in a little bit of nutmeg. Oh my goodness. That is so good. And with butter, a lot, a lot, a lot of butter on our acorn squash. That's one of my favorite ways to have that. But let's talk about carrots for a minute because I think carrots are an underappreciated vegetable. They are so versatile, but they don't really get the talk time or the share time as a lot of other foods when we talk to dishes on the table. So one of my favorite treats is just roasted carrots. In fact, I have been known to eat an entire pan all by myself, and I prefer to do roasted carrots with coconut oil or butter. If you have to be dairy-free, coconut oil works fine, but I actually really love the flavor of butter, sea salt, and then just a little bit of brown sugar and cinnamon, and when you roast them, those flavors just come together so beautifully, and the roasting pulls out the sweetness of the carrots, and that is one of our favorite sides to serve. And also still in with tradition of a traditional Thanksgiving menu. And of course, we have our pumpkin. So pumpkin, we have got made into pumpkin pie, of course. So I always grow some sugar pie pumpkins. They're a little bit smaller, but the flesh has better flavor and they have a higher natural sugar content in them. So they're a little bit sweeter. So we make up lots of pumpkin puree. And I have to tell you guys that Instant Pot is my new favorite way to cook pumpkins. So the sugar pumpkins are small enough. I can fit them inside my Instapot. I just have to pop the stem off and just cook them under on the manual pressure cooker setting for 16 minutes. And then I kind of let it release naturally, but you could do a quick release if you needed to. Then you got to let it cool because that baby's going to be piping hot. Then you just lift that pumpkin out. It's still whole and your knife will go through it so easy. It almost just like melts underneath the knife. Just chop it open in half scoop out the seeds and the insides and then I just can take a spoon and just take that spoon and scoop the flesh of the pumpkin away from the skin and then pop it in the blender. I usually do about two cups of cooked pumpkin with about a quarter cup of water and it purees up into beautiful, super easy to do pumpkin puree to then make our pies. Pumpkin sugar cookies are another one of my favorites, but what is very tradition in our family, and this started on my husband's side of the family, but we have adopted it. Now, this isn't traditional in the sense of going back to 1621, of course, but pumpkin roll, specifically grandma's pumpkin roll. If you have been a listener of the podcast for any amount of time, you know that my husband's grandma is one of the best cooks ever. And anytime I try to make grandma's recipes, even though she writes it out for me and she says it's exactly how she does it, I always get, well, it doesn't taste exactly the same as grandma's, which is kind of an issue with me. So when it came to the pumpkin roll, I just decided that I was not going to take a chance of not having it turn out just like grandma's. And so I went down to grandma's house to get myself a lesson. One of my favorite things about the pumpkin roll is you can make it ahead of time and freeze it, and then you can just bring it out, thaw it out in the fridge the night before, and you've got the dessert ready to go when your oven is already occupied with the turkey or the chicken, or if you were lucky enough to get a goose. You don't have to worry about finding oven space. Now, one of the things with the pumpkin roll is getting it to roll so that it doesn't crack, because we all want it to look pretty. It's going to taste just as fine if it cracks but we want to roll it without it cracking. If you want to see that in action, I actually did a Facebook Live on that when I was making our pumpkin roll so that you guys could see it because I'm just one of those visual people. It's why I went to grandma's house for a lesson. 
then you can go and find that in the show notes today. And you'll find links to a lot of these different recipes that I'm referencing in case you want to make them yourself at melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button. And this is episode number 121. You can also find the video on my Facebook page under the video tab. Some other more traditional foods that they had that we don't, some of us still serve them, but not all of us. They're not something as common that you would see within the recipes served and shared on Thanksgiving would be mince pie, which happens to be one of my mom's favorites is mince meat pie, which is the mixing traditionally of suet and meat and then with your fruits and your spices. So it's sweet and a little bit savory because you've actually got meat in there in a traditional mincemeat pie anyways. You've got meat and you mince it up really fine, hence the name, and then you will mix fruit and suet and other things in there to create a pie. And my mom's actual favorite from when she was a kid, and I have not ever had this, was her grandma's bear mincemeat pie. So it was her favorite thing in the whole wide world. So you would have seen the mixing of things there so that they had enough and they were really using all that they had gotten from their harvest to prepare into their meals. Another popular thing, this even dates back from Europe and extends into Christmas as well, but is steamed puddings and even baked puddings. But a lot of puddings were used a lot more back in the day than we typically have on our table in today's time. And one of the favorite recipes that you guys are going to want to try if you're looking to bring some of those puddings or some of those kind of more traditional foods back in is this is a recipe I have up on the blog and it's hard times pudding from the 1920s. So it's a traditional molasses steamed pudding, totally from scratch, doesn't use any refined sugar, but we have done the fun work for you because this is where taking those old traditions and popping it into the modern part. If you want to make it in the Instapot, you can do that. We have got Instapot instructions. So if you're not familiar with an Instapot, guys, it is a newer version of an electric pressure cooker. It's got a stainless steel pot. And that's why I usually, I shouldn't say usually, I don't cook in my pressure canner, though you can use a pressure canner as a pressure cooker. You cannot use a pressure cooker as a canner. Is because pressure canners are aluminum because they're so big that if they were stainless steel, they would just be too heavy and they just don't make them that way. But when you're canning, your food's in glass, so it doesn't really bother me. But I don't want to cook in aluminum. That's the beauty of the electric Instapot pressure cooker is it has a stainless steel pot, so your food is in stainless steel. A lot of times we see a lot of the stuffing or dressing recipes nowadays is done with regular white bread or whole wheat, sometimes sourdough. But if we look back, corn was a much more used crop back in the day than it is necessarily today. Corn was easily grown at stores really well and would be ground up, right? Corn was something that was more native and that the Native Americans were growing even when the pilgrims first came over here. And so cornbread, of course, right, we can take that corn and grind that up into cornmeal and do corn puddings and cornbread and cornbread stuffing is my favorite. I love cornbread stuffing with some sage. Sage is one of my favorite herbs, and I've got an abundance of it growing outside the door right now. And I always love to incorporate that into our Thanksgiving foods. I hope you have enjoyed this look back at kind of how Thanksgiving came into be in our modern times, looking back at what we consider that first one and then even further back and being grateful. 
What I think is really fun is if we take a look at the foods that we have grown and harvested ourselves, we see if we can't perhaps sub in those instead of having to purchase them from the store, which is what we'll be doing with our acorn squash and also our butternut squash. So instead of buying yams and sweet potatoes, we will have those on the table as our side dishes along with some roasted carrots which the roasted carrots might all end up being mine because, as I said, I love those. And my husband and son aren't so crazy about the carrots, but they really like the acorn and the butternut squash. I would love to hear some of your family's traditions or some of those really older traditional recipes that you guys are still using and carrying on within your family. So in the comments or the review section here on either iTunes or in the comments on the blog post, which you can find at mostkinwars.com, podcast slash episode number 121. And I'll also have in the show notes links to some of these different recipes, including the pumpkin roll, the steamed pudding, and those so that you guys can check those out and use them in your own Thanksgiving preparation. And of course, our verse of the week, even though we did talk about Exodus a little bit first, but this is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be, Be thankful and give thanks, for this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus, the revealer and meditator of that will. And of course, having the foods and some of those traditional foods is all part of the Thanksgiving meal, but it really is a time of gratitude and thankfulness for what we do have and to just take that time and appreciate it and to celebrate that with our loved ones because so much we get wrapped up in just the busyness of life which can happen during the harvest time right and getting ready for the holidays and making sure everything's just right and kind of being stressed out about all that we have to do that I'm really glad that we do have a national day of Thanksgiving though I hope it's something that myself and you are doing every day but to just take the time to really be thankful for what we do have and a heart filled with gratitude From my family to yours, I hope you have a fabulous Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to being with you on the next episode.